Hello and welcome to a very noisy dog pound. <laughs> the two of the dogs make so much noise together. One's ripping a packet of food apart and the other one's drinking. Now he's crunching. Oh. Anyway, welcome to Let Me Boy to Sleep. My name is Jason Newland. Please only listen when you can safely close your eyes. And I was going to read out of the Guinness World Record 2024, but the writing's really small. Unless my eyesight has just got less perfect. I don't know. I mean, let's have a look. Where was last year's Guinness Book of Records? Guinness World Records 2022. Okay. So it was a year before. Let me see if the writing's as small in this one. Uh, yeah, pretty much the same size. Oh well. So I got this book thinking I would go through it. And I'm quite surprised at just how much noise Logie's making. So what I did is, he, Logie's got his big food that he eats. And I give Vinny a little packet of food in the evening. So he also eats the big food as well. But he, he eats bits, you know, here and there. And um, sometimes Logie will eat it and he'll drop stuff on the floor and Vinny will eat that. Or he'll just help himself. I mean, it's not big bits. that he, Vinny can eat it. It's just a little bit bigger than what he would normally eat. But he just copies what Logie does. So I gave Vinny a bowl of uh, his own wet food. So I emptied about three quarters out of it, out of it, of it out, and then gave Logie the, the packet so he could get the rest of it out and he's completely destroyed the packet. But he went over to where Vinny was eating and Vinny just growled at him. Like that. So, uh, and Logie backed off, which was nice. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the largest collections, collection of number one singles. Oh, look. Dave Watson owns 1,258 UK chart toppers, including shellac, vinyl, and CD signal singles. What's a shellac? As verified in Dunstable, Bedfordshire, UK, on the 5th December 2022. His first purchase was 1988's Don't Turn Around by Aswad. As what? Yeah, which cost just 99 pence. The hardest record to get was Lita Rose's How Much Is That Doggy in the Window, 1953, which eluded him until internet search engines arrived. <laughs> 
internet searching to write, what, 20 years ago? Um, over 20 years ago, isn't it? How long has Google been about? 100 years? 1,258 UK chart toppers. I wonder how many years worth that is because... I mean, there could be at least 52 number ones in a year. There's rarely that many. I mean, it's quite often a song will be number one for a few weeks. Sometimes for a few months. Sometimes for decades. But 1,258, what is that? How many years is that if it's 52? 52... 1,258 divided by 52, 52, 100, so that's 125 years, I think, let's have a look, so 1,000, let's have a look, 1,258, Divided by 52. 24. 24 weeks. I oh, know, 24 years. So 24 years. If there was a different number one every single week for 24 years. Which there wouldn't be. So. Whether or not he's. It, it doesn't say. If he's got every single number one song since the UK charts started. That would be interesting to see. There is this uh, comedian called Woody Bop Muddy that I remember from the 90s. He might still be around, I don't know, but I remember from the 90s and he used to come on as dressed as like a pirate and he'd be a DJ and he had this uh, board, a bit of bit of wood and he would play a play a song a single because he'd have a big big box full of singles vinyl and he'd play a bit of it and they'd say smash or I don't know sort of like like or dislike you know using different words I forget what it was and if people didn't like it the song He'd hammer it onto the board with a nail and would smash it up. Sometimes when people like this song, it'd still smash it up. But it was funny. It was really... Um, I probably haven't described it in a, a way that would make you perhaps as excited as you should be because it was very, very entertaining. And the audience participation is what made it so good. Uh, I think it is one of those things that would work better, better if he was actually in the audience than if he was to watch it on TV, maybe. I, I might be wrong. But I always, every time I saw him, and I saw him many, many times, and it was, he always, always did really well. Um, the most back Charleston kick steps 
in 30 seconds. Professional dancer Amy Dowden shot to fame after joining BBC's Strictly Come Dancing in 2017. She executed 19 quickfire kick steps. I don't know what that means. So, yeah, I'm not sure. The largest trousers. The largest trousers for Dazed Magazine's feature on record-breaking fashion. Couture, couture, stylist, couture, couture, on Ku Jong, USA, recreated a pair of ASOS tapered sweatpants with a total length of 42 feet 11 inches and a waist of 30 feet 3 inches. That's just a normal pair of okay, very they're long, but the waist that's just normal, isn't it? That's just an average size pair of pants. And um, the Titanic trues were unveiled in Paris. I don't know why I'm laughing at that. I'm laughing at my own joke. Uh, most. Ooh, look at this. Most Smarties eaten with chopsticks while blindfolded in one minute uh, is by Avery Chin. MYS in Kula. Lumpur, Malaysia, and 25 Smarties were eaten with chopsticks whilst blindfolded in just one minute. Now, there are ways I used to know, well, I still I don't know, I've seen it for years, but a bloke called Dean Gold. And he held, I think he held the most world records out of anyone, pretty much, in the world at one point. This is like back in the 80s or 90s. He really held loads and loads and loads. He even started his own um, organisation for, you know, records. He started his own one. Outside of the Guinness. I wonder if he's on there. G go 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 G L M A B C D E F G. Okay. A B C D Gold Go. Oh, it hasn't got any names on there. I thought it would have. I thought they have little names of people, you know, people. But he he held the world record for. The most uh, eggs balancing on his hand, the most coin flips, like from the elbow to the hand. He held the world record for the most beer mats caught, you know, from the edge of a table and flipping it, catching them. He held the world record for the most, I think, bullseyes. With a darts and darts board in a certain amount of time, he so he held lots and lots of uh, unusual world records. And I, I think sometimes he'd look up 
something that wasn't done, that had never been done before, or something that hadn't hadn't been beaten for a long, long time. And then he'd sort of work on it. And he really trained. He, tra he trained. I don't know why I'm laughing. He just, he would practice for hours to, to perfect the art of what he was doing. And he used to call himself Dean. And his hands, do you know how our hands curl up? You know, the, if, you, if you face your palm upwards and you do that with your fingers and it goes up. He could do that with his palms facing downwards and his fingers could point upwards. Like he could bend his fingers. Not, not enough, he couldn't hold something with his fingers that way. But he could just, I don't know, I, think, I don't know if he's double jointed or what. But he could just make his hands curl. And, <laughs> and yeah, I met him when I was doing, I got a job as a canvasser in 1989. And it was basically knocking on people's doors, trying to see if they were interested in getting any new windows, new you know, window replacements, double glazing, uh, conservatories, or things like that extensions I suppose and I used to do that for three hours a day from about I don't know four to about seven or maybe five to eight something like that and and that would be it that's what I, that was my full-time job three hours a day five days a week sometimes Saturday as well I do get paid extra for a Saturday morning and I was getting paid more than I'd been paid anywhere else before at that point uh, so, and we used to get a, a commission as well so I think the basic salary was like £120 a week and sometimes I take home over £200 a week or £180 with bonuses I'd never earned that amount in my life I mean the most I ever earned I think probably in my in my 20s was when I had a job in the bakery and I did a hundred hours and I took home after tax 250 pound for the week that's after tax so I would have probably earned 300 and whatever which was in 1991 was a fair bit of money for what you know for for the situation I mean, I was paying £40 a week rent. So it gives you an idea, like, ratio-wise. Uh, so I could live food and everything probably on 100 quid a week. With everything, including what I needed to... Like, well, I was living on £100 a week after that as well, because I got a job that paid me 100 £104 a week, I think, for a few years. But that canvassing job was really good. 
It's the first time I... I it's weird, you know... I feel... It's almost like I woke up. I became kind of self-aware. I was going to say of myself, but that probably doesn't need adding, does it? Became... Kind of... So I remember I was staying with... Before this happened, I was... I left the job in a factory that I had. And that was a, that was a, that was a fairly good job as far as it goes in, in the town that I was living. It was the biggest... One of the biggest employers. And it was a factory for making meters, like electric meters. Maybe gas meters as well. I think it was electric meters. But maybe gas meters. I mean, it might they might just be the same thing. I don't know. But I worked there anyway. And this was the second time I worked there, I think. And I left. Because... I don't remember why I decided to go to Spain and, and those were the days when if I didn't like the job I was doing I just left it's, you know that's just what I did it's just that was not very professional I know but that is how I used to do things and, and I wouldn't necessarily think of the consequences and so I walked out of that job. Well, I just didn't go back. I went to Spain, so I gave up my ha the room that I was living in. I said, I'm moving out tomorrow. I think it was like, and I said, see ya. And I left. Went to Spain the next day on a plane because uh, my bicycle had a puncture. Boom, boom, boom. And I then came back the next, I came back in the evening. So I was only, I was only in Spain for the afternoon. I got ripped off by a taxi driver over there. And then I came back. Didn't have anywhere to live. Luckily my landlady, my previous, you know, the, the landlady from two days earlier, let me sleep there that night. And then I had to find somewhere else to live. And I managed to, I think, I think I got it in the right order. I stayed with a couple of people that I used to work with. And my job was to look after their daughter. Just take her to school, pick her up from school. And that was it really. And make sure she had a breakfast and they were doing the night shift and I slept on the pretty much slept on the floor in the living room uh, it was okay apart from the fact that they came home for dinner so they, they'd come home at like two in the after, two in the morning or whatever one in the morning for, for their lunch and turn the TV on and we'd be eating their dinner I'd like I sleep I said, if you're asleep, how can you be talking to us? Mm. Which was annoying. 
So I had to get out of there. This was just, it was ridiculous. And in the end, I managed to get out. And I had a part-time job working in a, when I was there, because I had no, they didn't give me any money. They did feed me and they let me sleep on their, their floor. They, it might have been a camper bed or something, I can't remember. Or maybe the cushions off the settee. And it was a comfortable flat, it was a nice flat. And I could eat, but I didn't have any money of my own to do anything with. Like even buying a Mars bar, I just didn't have anything. So I got a part-time job in the supermarket opposite, which was like six to eight, or five to seven, five to seven, or five five thirty to seven thirty, something like in the morning. And then I'd finish that, and then I'd go and I'd take. No, I got that during the summer. I must have done because otherwise I'd have had to be there. Yeah, I got that during the summer because I was still living there so I didn't have anywhere else to live. And then I moved out. And I got I got this job working as a canvasser. And it's really weird because I remember, and it's strange that I remember this, maybe, I don't know. I remember walking around because I was phoning for jobs, phoning, you know, job in papers and, you know, adverts and stuff. And spoke to this bloke called Jeff and he said, it's a canvassing job. And he said, well, basically, just, just come along, turn up and see if you like it, you know, come along. Uh, to this address and we'll you can come along and give it a go and you know no training just just tell you what to say and just see if you like it and I remember thinking well I didn't know if I wanted to do it really didn't know because the idea of knocking on people's doors did not fill me with ecstasy not to start with I I really really didn't quite like the idea of it to be honest and I was quite a shy person I would say in certain circumstances and I just didn't like I really wasn't going to turn up you know I was 90% sure I wasn't going to go and then I went. And I remember walking along near the sea. And I'm walking along the cliffs, you know, where the sea is below the cliffs. Well, in the sea. But the cliffs were the cliffs. And just they were higher up. And I was just walking along and I still kind of almost visualize it, not knowing, just staring out at the sea, not knowing what to do. And this was probably it was in the summertime, early summer. I really, really wasn't sure 
if it's something that I could even face doing. Knocking on someone's door and talking to them. That's not an easy thing to do if you've never done it before. You know, to not have a re well, it, it is a reason, but normally in the past, I've been knocking on someone's door because I was calling around a friend's house or maybe to see if they're in before burgling them. No, just, just joking. Or uh, maybe when I had my paper around, I'd knock on the door and give them their paper the week before Christmas so hopefully they give me a tip you know those kinds of things <laughs> it didn't work and I just thought shall I do it I don't know and for some reason I did it I don't know why I just turned up and Dean so there's a reason why I'm telling you this is because Dean Gould the Guinness Book of Record man. He was there with his wife, Natalie. And it was basically me, Dean, Natalie, or Nat, and Jeff, who was the boss. It was just the four of us. I think there might have been another person before me that I was replacing. I can't 100% remember. But what happened is, for some reason, I was really good at it. It was almost as if I came alive and I could just, I guess in some ways it was kind of a performance. And I was, I would say I was probably going through a little bit of a hyper mode as well. Back then, at that period in my life, I was going, I was a little bit up, which helped. I mean, you know, I can't knock on someone's door and go, oh, I suppose you want any new windows, do you? No, I don't, don't suppose you do. Don't blame you. Uh, uh, it's cloudy, isn't it? Uh, you know, that wouldn't have really been too good. And I used to have people laughing. They'd be on the doorsteps. So I'm, I'm not interested, though. Straight away. And then I'll be there just almost doing a stand-up routine that was making them laugh. Something that I was never able to do on stage. <laughs> I was never that good on stage, but on the doorstep, I seemed to be quite good. Never really knew. I could never remember what I'd said. But I guess I just bounced off the people that I was talking to. And it was... It was good. It was actually fun. And Dean was really funny. And Natalie was lovely. She was such a lovely person. I say she was. She is a lovely person. And she... So me and Dean would all... I'd get more leads than anyone else. Dean would get loads of leads. Natalie would get less leads. But Natalie's leads were better than ours. She had a higher conversion. So when the sales 
person went you know, contacted the person who'd who said that they were interested in getting some new windows and were um, we made an appointment we made an appointment to get a um, I don't know just what do they call it to have a, a visit you know so they could show them the windows we'll show them you know measure up and stuff like that and Natalie was way better than either of us because people only the only people that gave her an appointment and let her make an appointment with them were people that were genuinely interested now I think some people gave me their their details just to get rid of me and um, I say probably Dean was better than me as well as far as conversion so I'd get way more so I still did well because but my conversion was probably lower than the other two definitely lower than Natalie's and lower than Dean's as well so I wasn't I was really good but I wasn't they were better you know at the actual job but I surprised myself because I could have made that I could have just said I was the greatest couldn't I but what's the point uh, facts are facts and I was pretty good considering that I'd never done it before and I did get better with time I did it for about three months four months until I think the end of bo -bo 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 -bo, end of September time maybe October so all the way through the summer well through probably June, July, August, September, so probably about four months probably. And it was the best summer pretty much of my adult life. I just really just had a good summer. It was I had money. I moved into a place that was pretty cool to live. Uh, just generally it was I didn't it wasn't just very quite easy, you know didn't have anyone on my back to sort of, oh, you haven't got to tidy up, none of that. Uh, I was eating out every day for all my meals, pretty much, apart from breakfast. And I was working three hours a day, <laughs> which is not bad, it's not bad. And what I started to do, which probably maybe not during the week but I used to go drinking sort of at the weekends and I'd be we had these things where we had competitions so whoever got the most amount of leads you know new potentially new customers would win or sometimes it'd be like as a, as a group, we had to get, I don't know, a hundred leads in the week, let's say. And then we'd win uh, a big casket of uh, champagne and stuff like that. So I ended up winning loads and loads of bottles of champagne. So I remember I was walking down the beach with a couple of my friends and we were just drinking 
drinking out of the bottle. And it was fun. It was almost the first time since leaving school that I was able to actually have any fun. Because before then, I was working and had no money, hardly. And it was so nice to just almost have... I had money to spend and there was a freedom. You know, I could buy clothes and there was no... You know, I had a girlfriend and it's like everything was quite good. And it all came crashing down at the end of September, I think it was, or beginning of October. The Because we were working for a company that was a building firm, but they did double glazing, but they weren't, they didn't do the original, they, they didn't go down the route of hard pressure selling. The way they did it is by being genuine or genuine or genuine and they'd go in and it's mainly the, the two owners of the business to start with anyway because it's, it's a fairly new firm I think and they'd come into the people's houses and say here we go they might even have overalls on I'm not sure I made that bit up a little cap they really wore stilts that's that I do know and they just say look we've measured up here's what we do here's the price do you want it no hard sell no no camping in the living room for 16 hours trying to wear the person down none of that stuff no manipulation just you know here's a really good price we we're good at what we do here's what you're going to get and you can also here's an address here's a couple of addresses you can go to if you want to see what other people have done who have had our windows and and because they were actually builders, they were doing it. They were doing a proper job. I'm sure, I'm sure every all windows replacements do a proper job. I'm sure, but you know, and back then they sort of double glazing salesmen had a bit of a bad rep. Putation back in the eighties and the 70s and the 90s <laughs> the 2000s maybe I don't know but there was a period when they weren't the most trusted of people which is why the company that I was canvassing for even though I was working for Jeff who was making more money out of me than the company was because I found out later that he was, we were getting paid for six hours. So they thought we were out all afternoon. So we were getting paid, I didn't know this at the time um, until later on, but we were, we were getting paid for six hours. Um, and he paid, and so that's why we got paid so much because he obviously he's, he skimmed off some money for himself because that's you know that's 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 kind of what happens I guess 
he was self-employed and he was contracting us. So we weren't employed by the double glazing company. Jeff was the boss of us. He was also the boss of himself. And it was all right, you know. Eventually, I think in end of September 1989, maybe October time, they decided to invest their money in advertising on the radio as opposed to canvassing. So I moved to London and then I came back in. Well, basically what happened is I moved to London and I got a really, really low paid job, which was, I think about 95 pound a week or was it 85 pound a week, something like that. And I did that from, I think, October to March. So 89 to 1990, March. And I spoke to Dean on the phone. Or he called me or something. He said, oh, Jeff's getting a team back together. A bit like the A-team, really. He's getting a team back together to... Um, because the, the company that had us before, they, they won us again. But this time he had even more people. He had, I think, two companies that he was going to canvas for. So he took turns canvassing for the different companies. And I said, really? He said, yeah, yeah. So I came back. This time I was getting paid more money for the same amount of hours I think it might have been four hours this time so like four to eight something like that and so I came back in the April end of March April time 1990 and I did and I came back to a job so I came back like Friday moved on a Saturday started working on a Monday And it was really weird to be back doing it. And to have that time to not be, you know, working quite physically hard job for very little money. And then I started to realize that I didn't enjoy it as much as I used to. I wasn't really, it was, it was okay, but, and I also remembered how, how quickly it stopped last time without any warning, you know, suddenly, oh, it's finished, there's no more work, so I didn't really want to go through that again, so I got a job back in the factory that I used to work in twice before, why they gave me a job, I've no idea. This time, though, it was in a meter factory and it was in a night shift. So I could still continue doing the canvassing. So I'd work from 10 till 6, 10 in the evening until 6 at night. 10 in the evening until 6 in the morning, rather. Yeah. That'd be a long shift, wouldn't it? 10 in the evening until 6 at night. Lay me. So I do my eight hours. 
then I'd go to bed, get up about two, three, four, five, yes, and then I'd be maybe starting at four, so I'd have about an hour, two hours between getting up and going to going to work, and then I'd finish work about eight, and I'd have another two hours to sort of between then and start work again. It, even though it's two different types of job, it wasn't sustainable. But for a while, it was quite nice to be earning that amount of money. Because the night shift, it wasn't a I mean... Yeah, it wasn't like huge, huge money, but it was good for the time, you know. I think I was taking home about 800 a month. 750 800 a month which I know it's not a lot now but back you know 24 years ago whatever here it was a fairly good take-home pay and and that was for the factory and I also had another 150 a week coming in from the uh, canvassing so it was nice for a little while for a few for I don't know a month or two but then I just had to quit one of them and I wasn't going to quit the actual the proper job so I quit the can the canvassing and then worked and it was better then because then you know I had a bit of space between getting up at two in the afternoon and starting work at ten because you know that's it's what's needed need some time otherwise I just work in all the time why am I telling you about that I don't know I'm not sure I've got a creaky chair see it might be my back Hope it's not the chair. I have to get a new one. It's easy to replace a back. So, why was I even talking about? It? Oh yeah, Dean. Guinness Book of Record. Yeah, Guinness Book of Records. Dexterous, dexterous Dean. What was weird is Jeff, who was the boss. He was, he was this old, he was old then. He was about 112 then. And he always dressed really smart. Was there like a suit on? I think, I'm not sure if he wore a hat. I think he might have had glasses. But he had this moustache that you would very much fit together with the 1940s RAF very like a curly moustache a big old moustache but curly on the end and he ironically did used to be in the RAF during the war and he'd always tell his stories so he was in the RAF and then he, when he left the RAF, because he was a young man at that time, 
when he left the RF, he became, I think he had his own company or something like that. And he was a salesperson, salesman for a, I think it was double glazing company, but he did a lot of sales, a lot of sales. And that was his pretty much his life. And then he retired and he, I think he might have got a bit bored or just thought he needed to get some money. So he started up this little business, getting together some people to, and I, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing that he knew people in the industry. So he said, well, let me get you, let me get you leads so you can make appointments make money sell sell the products and i'll take a a, a certain amount every week and I'll, then i'll employ the staff and do everything else which means he probably got two four so he probably had like 500 pound a week or something coming in and then he he did everything else which meant he'd have made maybe 300 himself or 250 which is not bad for three hours work a day and he's retired as well and he was lovely he, I, I, I actually really liked him he was very funny he's very rude very rude and he used to swear proper swear <laughs> and he was so funny he just like he just had a funny laugh and he'd um, big bushy eyebrows and he just he, I think he took a little shine to me he, he quite liked me I think a little bit and I was interested in selling had been for I just had an interest in selling I don't really know why but I was, and I, at that time I was reading books on selling. So I was doing the canvassing, but I was starting to sort of, you could say, taking my work home with me. Because I started, I started thinking, oh, so I'm doing quite well at this, even though technically I wasn't selling, but it was still, is, I suppose I was selling myself, and the idea of maybe considering getting some new windows or whatever and yeah really kind of used to read quite a few books on the subject and oh, weirdly enough I continued to do that all the way through the 90s even though I didn't have any sales jobs really during the 90s and it wasn't until 2001 that I got my first proper sales job, which was cold calling people with a salary. It's not, not people with a salary, but I had a salary for doing it. So it wasn't just based on commission, though there was a commission added on. And it was uh, mobile phone contracts, but giving away mobile phones, giving away a free mobile phone, the latest version, Nokia, 310 or whatever it was but also with a, a two-year contract or one-year contract or something mobile you know 
mobile phone contract. And in them days, 2001, it was really a case of getting people signed up. It was more, they were thinking, like, this is for EE. They were subcontracted for EE. So that was the company we represented. Even though we weren't them, it, you know, so, but we were selling their phones and their contracts. They were thinking into the future. So they were quite happy to give away the phone have a really cheap contract to start with and then hopefully keep the customer and maybe some of the people that had a phone with EE back then it wasn't called EE back then it was called Orange wasn't, wasn't it yeah Orange the future's bright the future's EE I'm not quite sure how they got from Orange to EE but it's probably some kind of syndication being bought by another company but the other company uh, was called something different and they decided to go with I don't know Orange or you know, EA and maybe the other company one was called Orange and the other one was called Eh and I thought well Eh has got an E in it and Orange has got an E in it so let's call it EE I don't know I made that up I don't normally make things up, apart from when I lie. I think um, that was a difficult job. It was. I my phone. I phoned someone at once, and they said, "Sorry, mate, you phoned me up. I'm at my brother's funeral." I said, "I am so sorry." He said, "Because uh, I, I basically," he said, "Hello." I said, "Hi, I'm calling." On behalf of the uh, Orange, um, just wonder if you'd be interested in a free mobile phone with a contract and all that. So that was me. That's what the, my my little bluff, my not bluff, blurb or whatever. And he said, "Sorry, mate, I'm at, the, I'm at my brother's funeral." I was like, "I'm so sorry." He said, "Can you call me back in an hour?" Like, support, and I did, and he took it. He took the contract. I was like, wow. You know, I phone people up in a weird... That's the thing. For cold calling, you don't know what someone's going to be doing when you call them. And I'm pretty sure I heard some of the strangest things ever. Well, I, I know I did, but my mind was maybe going in a different direction to what was reality. Sometimes they're just like, what am I hearing? Uh, I remember one of, uh, I don't know if it was that job or the, the insurance job. But someone, one of my colleagues, he said to a customer, oh, have you got a parrot in the background? I hear you got a parrot. And the customer woman said, no, that's my son. And he got sacked. Not not her son, the the the, the my colleague. I was like, wow. And that was pretty short after I started working there. And another one got sacked during my training. 
what uh, not not one of the trainees but someone that was already working there and apparently this the customer was and it's no cold calling it was all inbound phone calls so the salesperson was talking on the phone hello welcome to whatever insurance company it was and the customer or the prospective customer was being really rude like really rude and the salesperson said sorry you are the weakest link goodbye and put the phone down now this is 2001 when the weakest link was a huge tv show in the uk anyway with Anne, Anne, not Anne diamond not Anne whittaker whittaker and and she used to wink i said wink w i wink she used to wink of Anne crawford and and something i think and it was hugely successful tv show you are the weakest link goodbye and he got sacked the weird thing about it, and I never really got my head around this, yeah. This person was popular with the in the call center, a well-liked person. All of the managers found it hilarious. And they even played it in our training, and it was very funny the way he did it. And she was the, the, or the man or woman on the phone the customer it was a woman but you know called I don't know I make I don't know I've got no idea it might have been a man it might have been anything I don't know and it doesn't matter <laughs> it's not important it's not relevant the customer was being really really rude for no reason just probably having a bad day whatever and when he said, just, you are the weakest link, goodbye. And he just, he said it in exactly the same way as Anne Diamond. No, I can't think of what her surname is. And literally put the phone down. It was just, it was perfect timing. And we were all laughing. The trainer was laughing. The manager who brought the tape in, uh, the recording in to tell us to show us what we shouldn't be doing was laughing and he was one of the top managers in in the building and he found it hilarious and yet they sacked him i mean okay the customer complained you can't get away with it you can't just get away and do that but disciplinary not sacking come on give the person another chance maybe he had other, had other chances I don't know but it just seemed a shame because it's almost like well, if how can you sack someone that is or fire, fire someone that's just made you laugh doing what they've done and okay it was rude it was unprofessional I've done worse everyone's done worse you know got away with it um 
at some time in the past, you know, when I was a young and little little young child of 33, 34. But yeah, I'm not sure why I was telling you that. Why did I tell you that story? I worked in one place and so I worked in four different call centres. Three insurance, one mobile phone contract thing. The th- yeah, the second insurance company I worked for, it was run by a bit of a maverick, and he he had a company renting out helicopters as well. He was very rich, man, uh, self-made, and he just he'd buy companies. And then sell them. So you kind of try and build them up and then sell them. And it would have it'd be happy, you know, it'd stay with a company for ten years, building it up. So it's not like you just do it overnight. So he had this company. And I'm pretty sure it was it was something like line direct. Instead of direct line. It was line di- It was like a very similar name to Direct Line, which is the was at the time the biggest car insurance company. But it was it was just a very similar name which he picked. <laughs> and I remember once he came, he didn't care about breaking the rules. So he came up one. He came upstairs one day to the sales department. Because his office was downstairs, and he said something, and one of the, and one of the salespeople, I think he said, "Everyone keep keep the noise down" or something like that. I don't. I think it was a quiet day, and there wasn't many phone calls, and he said, "I'll keep the noise down because people were talking a bit too much." Now, someone shouted back like a, a quip. Like a funny remark or whatever, and the the person that did it was the top salesperson on the entire floor, the, the entire building. Really, he was a top salesperson by a long way. Every week, always outsold everybody. So he was the one that like answered back to the boss, and the boss said, "Get out, get out." It was in front of everyone. He said, put your coat on and leave. You're sacked. Now, you know, you can't sack people like that. It's not, it's illegal. You know, you have to go through a process. You can't just, um, if someone's been a little bit cheeky. Well, I can't, it's just, it was... It was horrible to watch, really. And he just walked out. He said, okay. And he just walked really slowly. Are you sure? And he did. Yeah, he left. And that was it. And so I think someone said, aren't, aren't you worried you're going to get sued? He said, I don't care. I like being sued. So okay. What well, two of the weirdest moments at that, at that place... 
for me was there's two incidences that were very strange. One was because um, on a on a quite a few of the lads would go out drinking at the weekend. The salespeople. I never used to really go out drinking, but they did all go out together, and I think it was like a Saturday night, and someone, they were all really drunk, and someone wrote a letter, and I think, I think he wrote it himself, but basically telling the manager what he thought of him, the sales manager, and posted it through the door of the locked building so it was picked up by the security or the staff before opening on the Monday morning and he, he lost his job because of it he couldn't because of what it said just because he was drunk and another weird thing happened this was for, I think it might have been Christmas, Secret Santa or something like that. And someone bought or gave as a, as a present a scratch card to, a, to his friend, who was also a salesperson on the floor. And the scratch card, it was a, it was a joke scratch card that came up as 50 grand, 50,000 pounds win. So it was a joke, but it looked legit. I know because someone did it to me as well. So he thought he'd won 50,000 pound. He started screaming. He was practically doing handstands towards the manager. And he was, oh, I'm telling him, tell him, that's it, I'm out of here. I'm going to tell him what I think about him now. And he started to have a go at the manager and about three of his friends jumped on him to, to drag him away before he got himself into trouble. And they dragged him into the toilets and explained to him that it was a joke. And because he was, he had to go home. He was so, so upset, bless him. Because he really thought he'd won the jackpot, you know, enough to change his life and to get out of that. And then to find out that not only did he nearly lose his job by telling the manager what he thought of him, He, he, yeah, blimey. But it's very funny. It was so funny to see. Now, I didn't know what was going on, so it's probably funnier for other people that did. But I saw that he'd won on a scratch card, and it was about to go and tell off the manager so I thought that was quite funny just quite a funny thing to do not not a nice thing to do necessarily but just 
something I'd never really seen before. And then someone whispered in my ear that it was a, a fake, it was just a, a, you know, a jokey card, jokey scratch card. And that just made it hilarious. Now, everyone was, well not everyone, but well, everyone except me, I just sat there laughing. But a lot of people were just like running up, don't, don't do it, don't do it. Just trying to almost drown out his voice so the manager couldn't hear him. Because <laughs> he did, he started walking up and started shouting, yeah, this is what I think he, and it's like, oh, it was very funny. Can't think of what else. There was a bloke that worked there, and he was, he used to be an uh, insurance thingy, broke, I forget what it is, but he could choose prices, and he could change the prices of the policy, and, you know, to make a better deal and stuff for people. And he really took a dislike to me, he didn't seem to like me at all to start with. And then over like a few weeks... He really seemed to like me to the point where he was bringing in pictures because he was an artist and he'd tell me oh i want to be an art you know this is what i really want to do because he was he always had a pad and paper and i never really knew what he was up to and uh he showed me and like, i was really really great really good artist and he kept saying i want to I just want to make it, I want to do that. And I said, well, you need to go for it then. And he got offered a job, I think in London, and he, he and I said, yeah, go for it. Doesn't matter if it works out or not. You know, if, there's one thing, like, I think follow your dreams. I've always, especially a bit more now after what's been happening lately, I've started to sort of re reevaluate that. Um, just thinking, hmm, Perhaps I need to need to start really think about what I want to do with the the time that I have. But with him, so when I when I went to London to follow my dreams of being a comedian, I had no talent really as such. You know, I wasn't. Um, I just it's just something I really wanted to do and I did it for seven or eight years and I was average at best really at worst I was worse <laughs> really bad <laughs> however I followed my dreams and I felt quite good about that but I did sacrifice I made many sacrifices along the way to get there But for him, it wasn't a sacrifice moving to London, you know, in a sense that he had the talent. You know, I think to have the opportunity and to also have the talent as well, it's, it's almost like a perfect storm, really. You have to be silly not to, to go for it, I guess. I know sometimes, you know, there's different situations 
why people stay stay where they are and that but and even when I was going to go to I decided in 1990 in April I was in the bath and I decided to um, decided to start keep me bum clean no I started I decided I want to be a comedian and that was it from then on for the rest of the year I was focused on going to London going back to London I didn't focus very well because otherwise I could have actually saved for a year and had money had a few thousand pounds to go to London get myself somewhere to live somewhere decent and you know done it properly but I've never done anything properly, I don't think. <laughs> Just hope for the best. Let it be an adventure. Anyway, uh, <sighs> and then, oh yeah, so he, he, he did, he left the job and he took off and he became an artist, but well, he was already an artist. He had his own part-time business as well, but he, he took this contract in London and good on him, good on him. I hope it all worked out good. I had a similar thing with another bloke who worked in the the last insurance company I worked at. He was absolutely obsessed with football and he was a coach, part-time coach for um, basically volunteering as a coach, football coach for kids. He was offered a job coaching the local team's children's side, the local team's junior team. And the local team's got a stadium, you know, it's a big, big football club. And he was humming and hiring. And he was probably about 23, 24. But he had all he was you know he had all the certificates and he was really qualified to do it and he was doing it as a volunteer but he didn't want to give up the security of having a job doing selling car insurance to doing um something that was i think it was just a i think it was temporary contract maybe six month contract or a year contract or something and I said look you don't know where this is going to lead to this is your dream you know uh, what what have you always wanted to do you wanted I suppose it was either be a footballer or be a football coach those are the two I'm sure being a footballer would have been his his ideal you know but that's something that only a tiny percentage get get a chance to be a professional footballer. Although I've known a couple of semi-professionals, um, and I think he might have been in the past, but he was a coach. I think he actually had an injury. I think he hurt his leg or something. I'm making it up, but it makes a, it makes a story more interesting. Yeah, he he fell fell out of an acorn tree and bounced on a trampoline and then landed on a helicopter, uh, something like that, who was doing somersaults. Yeah, bright red smoke coming out, sort of 
saying I love you Deirdre in the sky so it was a very mixed mixed situation because uh, his name was Deirdre so he's confused like oh hurt my leg but someone loves me it was very strange and he he said oh you think I should go for it I said yeah 100 I'll be with you in a minute go away for now I'll be with you in a minute so he headbutts the desk and like just shakes everything I feel so sorry for him at the moment I'm sorry I didn't mean to be rude um, so yeah, I, so, oh yeah, in the end, I think I had a holiday while I was off, came back, and he'd gone, he'd left, he took the position as a coach for the uh, children's team, I don't know how he is now, or where he is now, but I'm pretty sure he wouldn't have regretted it because you know he's wow it's what 10 years ago now yeah 10 years ago so 10 years on another 20 30 years he's going to look back on that even if he if nothing else happened afterwards he got to be a, a, a you know a professional football coach like a paid football coach for an actual football club and there's not many people can sort of say that you know statistically there's not many people in the world can say that I mean, there are thousands of people around the world but that's just a tiny number with the I mean there's at least well at least uh, 7 million people on the planet isn't there so there's over no, it's over six million, definitely over six million. So yeah, how did I get to this? How did I get to these people? Dean, Gould. Oh, yes, I've got the uh, Guinness World Records. It used to be called the Guinness Book of World Records. But it's called Guinness World Records 2024. Maybe the fact that it's in the format of a book means I don't need to put the word book on it. Maybe it never had the word book. I don't know. But uh, I didn't get very far in there, did I? I'll have to have another look maybe another time. I didn't get 2023. I wonder why that is. I don't even remember 2023. What happened? Well, this is 2023. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's still happening. We're still here, aren't we? It's only September. Or was it? Is it still November? Is it November? October, November. November the 30th. So it's the 1st of. December tomorrow blimey and it's 21.49 so it's 10 to 10 in the evening so I'm probably gonna yeah, I'm probably gonna edit this in the morning as opposed to now because I'm a bit tired now 
So, that's it. Remember, please, remember to be kind to yourself because you deserve to be happy. Do something nice for yourself. And, you know, maybe don't put off saying those kind things to others and to yourself. Don't put it off, maybe do it. If you, there's something you want to say to someone that's that maybe a lovely thing, saying thank you or whatever it might be, maybe don't put it off. It is up to you though. But ultimately, don't put off being kind to yourself. Take care. Lots of love. Bye. Bye, 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 bye.